that's it for my announcements. And so I want to talk a little bit today. And um, you know, I've, you could probably start turning. I think in Mark, if you want to get over there, but. Mark 10, if you want to find your way there. But, you know, I've been preaching for a while and, and studying, and I've noticed that not everyone responds the same way to being exposed to the presence of God. And, um, you know, it's like how not everybody responds to the same food the same way. You know, everybody, some people have food allergies, and other people have food sensitivities, and then, you know, a bunch of people are non-GMO, gluten, taste-free, you know, and and they can't eat anything but ice. <laughs> and, um, you know, so I've noticed that I, I used to think that everybody responded the same way to the presence of God. And, and I've noticed that through studying Scripture and, and watching different encounters that people have with Jesus and then just being a pastor of a church and seeing the way people interact with the Holy Spirit when He shows up. And, I, and I've noticed that there's about three different responses that people have scripturally to encountering Jesus, meaning when, when the bread of life and, and them met up and they were exposed to Him, there's about three different responses that I want to talk about today to the, to the reaction that people had when they encountered Jesus. And I see this too in church and, and just in people and whenever they're encountered, when they, when they meet a fork in the road between them and Jesus, there's but everyone responds the same way. And so these, there's three points, and they would be good to write down today. And, and the first one is one that I tend to talk about a lot anyways because I see it so much in, in, in my own life. I see it so much in our church. And, and the first one is people who encounter Jesus and then walk away sorrowfully. Okay? And more often than you would even realize, so often of the time, I see people hearing the gospel, feeling the presence of God all around them, and then immediately just fleeing uh, His presence and, and just walking away sorrowfully. And I see the look in their eyes as they vacate the premises. And it's a look in their eyes of, I want what you have, but I'm not willing to give up what I have. You know? And it's that look. And we talk about, obviously, this story so much in... Um, with a rich young ruler. This is this is a story that I talk about a lot, and it's that that encounter. We know how the story ends, where Jesus and this this rich young ruler uh, they meet, and um, you know Jesus tells him that he would have to sell all his possessions and give the money to the poor and to be perfect. And we know that the rich young ruler just walks away sorrowfully. And I talk to you guys all the time about how often I see rich young rulers pass through these doors, and they may not be rich nor young, but what they have is more valuable than what they want, you know, and they're not willing to give it up. And so, but I want to talk because a little bit more about this story than I normally do, because we all know how this story ends, but um, a lot of us don't really realize how it started. So in Mark 10, I'm just going to look at like one verse here, but look at Mark 10 verse 17. This is how the story starts. And a lot of people don't realize this part, or at least I, I have it when I've preached it so often. But in Mark 10 verse 17, it says, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to, in to inherit eternal life? So remember, when we fast forward several verses later, 
we see that this man ends up just walking away from Jesus. And so it's easy for us in our minds to think that Jesus sought out this man or that they just bumped into each other while they were walking and Jesus told him what it would take, what he would require of him. But it actually says that this man ran to Jesus and knelt down before him and said, Good teacher, what must I do? I'll do anything. Just tell me what it is. And then the story ends when Jesus answers his question. Then he just simply carries on and walks right away. And I can't stress it to you how often I see this just in our own church, right? People come in and they, and they you can see it. They want this. I mean, they sought this out. I mean, they Googled us or they looked us up or someone invited them. They pulled into the back of this barber shop. And they wanted to turn around, but they said, not today, Satan. I'm going in. You know, they walked in here. This room was all more cram-packed than they expected it to be. They're sitting next to a total stranger they never met before in their life. Kind of cuddled them for the next hour. <laughs> they, they wanted it. They wanted him. You know, they worshipped. You know, they, they even got the courage at one point to do a little bit of this right here. You know, they, they, they wanted the presence of God. And then... I'll preach. I don't know if it's me or the presence. But then I see it. I see a shift. And I wish you could stand here sometimes because I see a shift where, where I'll say, you have to do this. You have to do that. He wants you to do this. He wants you to do that. And then I see him and they just exit. And I see that look in their eyes and I can't describe it in any other way other than it's just the look of the rich young ruler where it's like, I came here. And I wanted this. And it, sometimes it's not that they visited once. Sometimes, sometimes it's that they were here for two months. And then finally, the Holy Spirit, they, they, they listened to him say what he wanted from them. And then I see that look again. And it's that look of they walk away and they're sad. They would rather be here. But what they have is too valuable to give up. And you won't see them again. And, and that's, that's, the first, that's the first type of reaction that I see in people encountering the presence of God is that a lot of people simply walk away from him sorrowfully. But let it be known that they ran towards him in the beginning and they knelt down before him. But what he required from them was more than they were willing to give up. So they simply walked away. And you guys know people like that too. You know people who have had zeal and passion about learning God's word and about being in his presence and coming to church. And you've watched it. Maybe it was a week or two or a month, but eventually... They just walk away. You know they didn't walk away happy because you know their life. They walked away sad. The second kind of reaction that I see and the one that I read often, and I don't get to talk about this one enough, and so I'm going to talk about this one a lot today, is people who encounter Jesus and then skip away cheerfully. Okay? So the first one is walk away sorrowfully. That's the type of people, they come to church or they get into the presence of God, they study his word, and then they vacate the premises. But you can tell, they wish that they could have given up what you gave up, but they just can't. Okay. But the second type of person, and go to Luke chapter 17 for me to talk about this one, is the type of person who encounters the Lord and they skip away from him cheerfully. And this is one that I see equally as often, and this is probably the one that hurts the most for me, to be honest. Chapter uh, 17, verse 11 of Luke. As, as Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten lepers 
stood at a distance crying out, Jesus, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, Go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. So already it's a little different than the people who, who walked away sorrowfully because these people sought out Jesus and they even obeyed what he asked of them, right? Because that was the difference between those who walk away sorrowfully is they won't obey God. They won't listen to, to, to the things that God wants from their life. These people here, they actually did. He said, go and show yourself to the priest. And it says that all ten of them did that. So as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus, shouting, Praise God! He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to this man, Stand up and go, for your faith has healed you. Some translations say your faith has saved you. And it's just the craziest thing because this is something that I see so often too. They were all healed, right? They all came to the presence of the Lord and they were all affected by it. Okay, which is the same with this right here. Because the veil has been torn, the presence of God is in this place. And, and it means that everyone that comes in here, they can all be set free. They can all be healed. They can all, uh, you know, their, their sin, their stains, they can all be blotted out. Their shame, their guilt, their remorse, their stress, their worries, they can all disappear in one second of being in the presence of God in this place. But I've seen that about one out of ten actually come back. Right? And what I've noticed is that people let newfound freedom lead them back to old lost places. Okay, so time and time again, I've watched Jesus set people free from something only for that to enable their hands to get entangled into something else. Time and time and time again, I've seen this happen to people. They come in with this one thing, right? They're like, they're recovering from a divorce. And I mean, they just walk in and their head is down. I mean, they, you can just... If they were wearing a t-shirt that said shame, it wouldn't have helped you see it anymore on them. I mean, they just walked in like this. And I've watched these type of people. And you don't have to all envision this like, who is he talking about? And like, this is in my life and in church and different ministries and stuff. But, but I see this in people. I have seen it here. But, and I've watched Jesus do a work in them and heal them and take away that shame or take away that, that regret or that remorse so much so that they don't walk in here like that anymore. They walk in here, head held, you know, uh, head held high, and 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 all of a sudden, you know, we start praying that they would date again or that they would do all this stuff or whatever. And then, after God's done this great work in them, they get a boyfriend. You never see him again. <laughs> Seriously, seriously, like this work, this this leprosy, this thing that was holding you down. Once it sets you free, once once Christ actually gets rid of it, I see so often people spread off away from him, right? Just like these lepers did. You know, like they've had leprosy like their whole life, this uncurable disease at this time. And Jesus says, just go. They all obey. All 10 of them head towards the priest. They're all healed on the journey there. And only one of them thinks, I got to go back and give thanks to this man who has done this good work in me. The other nine run off to do whatever, right? But they weren't really healed, were they? They were just healed of one thing. 
Right? This man was healed of everything because he came back to the source again to get another drink. Right? And so, you know, don't let newfound freedom lead you to old, lost places. I see this time and time again. Everything is going good. People are they're reading their Bible every day, but they're unemployed and they've got all this free time and then we're praying and they want to get a job and then they get a dream job. Now they don't have time doing that anymore. They're at church every week. You know, and they finally get that girlfriend or boyfriend or spouse or something that they've been, you know, wanting, and then they're gone. And Sometimes people get rid of all their shame and remorse, and then they become prideful and envious. I've seen that. So I've seen people that I knew a guy, and I took him um, in, into a ministry that I was doing at the time, and I told him that, uh, he said, Could I, I said, would you like to help me lead this ministry? And he said, he said, me? You know, I mean, he was he was like Moses, like me. Who, who, he said, like, "Who am I to do that?" And I said, "I said, you're, you know, you can do this, man. You got the Holy Spirit. You can help me with this." And he showed up the first time, and you know, I actually had him like, you know, talk to some of the kids and do some other stuff. He said, "Man, when you asked me, I figured I'd just be sweeping or something. Like, I figured you just had me clean the toilets. Like, you you actually want me to like, I can like talk to the kids some and everything." I said, "Yeah, man, you can do this." Well, we, we did ministry together on and off for like a year or so. By the, by the end of this, my, my time with this guy, he had let that freedom uh, the, of that shame and everything come off of him so much so that I couldn't even get him to do anything anymore because he was too, he was too good for anything. You know what I mean? It, I had seen a complete shift in him where it truly went from shame and remorse to pride and envy. All of a sudden, he ended up quitting because he wasn't the pastor. Because he didn't get to preach every week. Because he didn't, you know what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying? I've seen this in people time and time and time again. It's like, because they got their, you know, the shackles off of their feet, now they can run all over everybody. You know what I mean? And, and I watched that happen to him, and it broke my heart, and I kept telling him. I said, man, you're, you're, I said, the best thing I ever saw in you was that you were humble. And I said, and now you're not. And the word says, those who exalt themselves will be made humble, right? And, it, and the word also says that, that, uh, that God oppose, opposes the proud, yeah. right? But, but he, he encourages and gives favor to the humble. And I've watched so many times people come in like this, you know, and then the Lord does a work in them, and now all of a sudden, they're like, uh, somebody want to get the trash? Because see, I've been at this church six months. So I don't get the trash anymore. <laughs> hey, new guy, get the trash. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like people do that. Or, or like you have somebody like preach one time or speak one time or, well, you know, whatever. I'm just giving you one example from my own personal life. You guys hopefully have a bunch of other things that you're thinking about too. But I've watched that. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Like as, as they're set free from one thing, it's like, oh, good, perfect. Let me go get caught up in something else. You know? And the reason why that happens is because they don't come right back to the presence of God again and say, what else? That was amazing how you took away my leprosy. What else? What else do you want to take away? What else do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to say? Right? They're they're saying, this is just the starting point. This isn't the finish line. You know, I've noticed that sometimes we only pray until our prayers get answered. You know? And that's made me think, you know, if I was God, I wouldn't answer him. I really would. Y'all better be thankful I'm not God. I would not answer them because, because, and sometimes I think this is the reason why he doesn't answer your prayers, if I'm honest with you, because I know I've had times where I felt the Lord tell me that this is why he hasn't answered some of my prayers, because he knows if he did answer it, it'd be the last he heard from me. 
man, I'd love to do that for you, but then you wouldn't talk to me anymore. You know, I know you want me to do that, but it's only because of this unfavorable situation that you even come to church. So if I actually let this happen in your life, I'd probably never see you again. And I've seen that happen time and time and time again. You know, whatever, marriage is on the rock, something like that. I'm just, I'm just broken. I'm just here. I just want to know God. And then all of a sudden, something happens. You know, husband gets a new job, making more money, bigger house, something like that. Like, yeah, I'm out of here. You know, time and time again. It's like, we're, we're like, we're, we're like, help me pay my bills, Lord. And he's like, no, the end of the month when your rent is due is the only time we talk. So I'm I'm okay. He's like, I'm going to let you struggle a little bit because I so value this time that we have between the 27th and the 31st of each month. You know? But let me make this explicitly clear because I feel like maybe I've never been this blunt about it and I just need to today. God will never lead you in a direction that is away from him. He never will. And if I had a dollar for every time people try to talk me into God's leading of their life in a direction that was 100 miles away from him, I would be a very rich man. Time and time again, people try to talk me into, oh, God's doing this and God's doing this and God's doing that. And I'm saying, no, no, no. God will never lead you away from himself. So if you feel like your life is taking a lot of turns and it's making it more difficult to get into the Lord's presence, that is not His navigation that you are listening to. Okay, those turns that you feel that you're having to take at the end when you get to a destination that feels like it's further from God than when you started, that was not His GPS that you were listening to in the car. Okay, it was a spirit, but it wasn't His. Okay, that wasn't Him. He doesn't lead people away from Himself. He leads people towards himself he leads people into himself by his kindness he leads us back to him into repentance into a deeper relationship and if you if you have new relationships in your life and they prevent you from going to church can i be so blunt to say those relationships have not been placed by god in your life i mean just flat out they haven't time and time again i'm like oh i'm in this, i'm in this new relationship i'm i'm this you know so i can't come to church anymore you know they don't really like it when i go to church and i'm like well drop them like a hot potato it's like god's plan for your life to be away from him it's just not and, and so just so that i can equally offend everyone if you have a, if you have a new job or start a new business that keeps you from seeking jesus with all of your heart you are outside of his will Period. 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 He is not going to lead you away from himself. And here's why. If you're mad at me, let me, let me, let me tell you why. He loves you too much to ever call you to a life that he is absent of. He loves you too much to lead you in that direction. He would never lead you to a life that he's not a part of. Why would he do that? Would you ever lead your spouse away from you? Would you ever lead your children away from you? No. You leave them. You want to be with them. You want to be closer to them. And, and, and um, the third I want to talk about today is uh, the, the three. This is the three uh, responses uh, that you see people when they encounter Jesus. You know, the first was that they walk away sorrowfully. The second was that they skip away cheerfully. You know, and, and you guys understand what I mean about that. Like, they're here and they're in the, the presence of the Lord and they're studying His Word and everything's going really well. But then all of a sudden, some sort of a blessing or a healing or something makes it to where they don't need this anymore. 
And so they skip away from him with a smile on their face. And they will try to convince you over and over again that this is a good move and they're happy about it. This is great what's happening in my life. You don't understand. I finally started the business of my, this is my, my lifelong goal. I have to start this new business, but you guys won't see me for a while anymore at church. Or I, I don't have any time to pray anymore because this, I finally got, the Lord finally answered my prayer of this business that I've been wanting. No, 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 no. What happened to you is the same thing that happened to Jesus when he was tempted in the desert and the devil said to him, if you just jump off of this cliff, I'll give you the whole world, right? If you just turn this rock into bread, you know what I mean? It's that temptation. The devil offers you things. And um, so the third thing I want to talk about is uh, the people, and this is about one in ten, who encounter the Lord and they return again immediately. And this is about 10%. About 10% of the people who encounter the Lord, probably, you know, uh, four of them walk away sorrowfully and five of them skip, skip away cheerfully, but one of them returns again immediately. They say, I need more. That was the best thing I ever had. And I need more of it. That's that 10% that I read about in Scripture. I've noticed that those type of people, the only reason they even leave in the first place is just to go back and get more people to bring with them, to come back into the Lord's presence. This was so good. Hold on. i got five people who would enjoy this also. Right? We see this with, uh, I talked about it not long ago, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Andrew encounters the Lord, and he's like, and he goes and gets Peter, brings him back. Right? Matthew. When Jesus encounters Matthew, what does Matthew do? He immediately says, hey, what are you doing for dinner? <laughs> Jesus, what are you doing for dinner? I want to have a party at my house, and you're the guest of honor, and I want to invite all my friends, right? <coughs> and then look at John 4. I'm going to talk it, uh, a little bit uh, quickly in John 4. This is the story of the... I'm just going to kind of fly. I'm not going to read this whole passage, but because I just did, I think, a few weeks ago. But in John 4, this story of Jesus encountering this Samaritan woman, you know, she's there to get a drink of water from, from, this, from Jacob's well there. And if you know the story a little bit, you know that Jesus um, asked her for a drink. And, you know, she's like, why are you asking me for a drink? I, you're a Jewish man. I'm a Samaritan woman. And he said, if you knew who I was, You'd ask me for a drink, and I would give you living water. And he said, and you would never thirst again. And, and so later on in this story, um, let's see where we're at exactly. Um, maybe about 28. It says, the woman left her water jar beside the well. So, you know, she came with a jar to get a drink, but she left it there because she had living water now, right? And so she left the jar there, and she ran back to the village. She left the Lord's presence for just a second so she could tell everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. So the people came streaming from the village to see him. And so, but I've always liked this passage because I love where it says, um, it's in verse 34, but those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. See, he doesn't say you'll never have to drink again. 
Okay, that's kind of the way that we read this sometimes. Those who experience living water will never have to drink again. But that's really not what it says there. It says they'll never thirst again. Well, why will they never thirst again? Because they have a fresh bubbling spring within them that they can drink from whenever they want to, and that's the Holy Spirit. But if you don't drink from the fresh spring that is within you, then yes, you will be very thirsty again. Okay? You, you have it available to you, but you have to actually take from it. You know? And, and, and so, you, you have to drink from His cup. He's saying, here's the cup. I've come. I've torn the veil. I've placed the cup within you. Okay? But you have to drink from it. You know? I mean, it's literally like we're just sitting here, and there's this cup within us, and we're just like, oh. I'm so thirsty. Hey, you guys want to go get a drink somewhere? I could just go for a drink right now. Just anything. If I could just get something to drink. I'm so parched. I'm so thirsty. I just want something to drink. Can we go get something to drink? And you're just like... I mean, that's literally what we do. I mean, literally, like, not just you. This is what I do. Because of the Holy Spirit within me, the Word of God tells me I can take a drink whenever I want to. It says I can go confidently into His presence whenever I choose. But how often in my life and maybe your life do I go around just like this? Like, oh, if I could just make more money. Oh, if I could just get my finances in order, then I wouldn't be so thirsty. If I could just move to a bigger house, then I'd finally be happy. You know, we're, you know and, and it's like, there's a fresh bubbling spring within you that you can drink from at any point. But you still have to do it. Like, you still, like, there's still this action. That, I don't know who's this is. <laughs> There's still no. Chewing gum. There's still this action, this physical action that you have to take, and don't let any preacher in this whole wide world or any person in this world tell you that you don't have to do this because there is a still an action that you have to take of praying, studying God's word, and worshiping Him. Right? Gathering together, gathering together with his people. That's how we take a drink from the cup. Through those things. And there is no, I mean, I, I know, I grew up in a time when it was, everybody was real big on the, like, if you just, like, lift your hand and bat your eyelashes four times, like, then you'll be set free and never have to worry about anything else again and your life's going to be rosy and everything like that. And, and a lot of those, those messages were good. They were just lacking just the one thing that it's like, yes, but you'll have to do it again tomorrow too. Like, you'll be set free right now, but you'll be right back in chains again if you don't do this again tomorrow or the next day. Like, I can't take one sip of this and be good. That's not what Jesus was saying. He was saying, this is a fresh bubbling spring within you that never runs out. But if you don't drink from it every day, then you will run out. You know? And so, that, that's the, these third type of people, they keep coming back immediately, no matter what the Lord does in their life. No matter if they're blessed, they come back and say, thank you, Jesus. If they're not blessed, they come back and say, thank you, Jesus. Right? If they're hurting, they come back to be healed. If they're healthy, they come back and pray for other people to be healed. They go out, the only time they leave is to go out and get more people and bring them back in. That's that one person. That's that 10%. If there's 30 people between these two rooms, that's about three of you statistically speaking, are literally going to walk out of these doors and think, I've got to get back into His presence again. When's that women's group start? When, when, Wednesday night service is too far away. I want to go home and study. 
I'm going to pray tonight. Tomorrow morning at 8 a.m., I'm going to set an alarm on my phone. I'm going to pray. I've got to get back. I'm not good. I'm not good until next week. I need more, right? That's that 10%. And, and, it's, and it's really not that bizarre of a concept when you really think about it because it's like, who, who would go on a first date and then say, well, this has been fun. I've really enjoyed this. We should really do this again next year. Like, this has been one of my favorite dates. We had a blast. I think we really hit it off. We had a lot of chemistry. Sometime in the next year, in the spring, I want to get together and do this again. <laughs> like, like, you would be like, right. I'll, I'll wait for you. I'll put it on my calendar, right? But that's how we are with God. It's like, oh, that was great. Come back at Easter. Experience that again then. Maybe on Christmas. Maybe in a month. Maybe once a month. What kind of dating is that? Once a month? You get in the presence of the Lord once a month? This is a bad relationship. If anyone here is dating and your boyfriend or girlfriend only wants to go on a date with you once a month, I'm sorry to say, things aren't rosy. <laughs> I mean, if it's a good first date and there's, and there's, there's something there and there's a burning in your heart, right? You remember when they walked with Jesus that there was a burning in their heart? In Luke 24, I think it is. That's the, if it's like that with you, you can't wait. I can't wait. I gotta get back now. It's like Jesus. Uh, it's like Matthew. It's like, hey, Jesus, this has been great. But like, what are you doing for dinner tonight? Mm-hmm. You know, like that's a good first date. Yeah. That's a good first date. Like, man, this has been great for lunch. What are you doing for dinner? <laughs> right? Like, like, and we could go pick up something on the way there if you want to. If you want to go see a movie, you know, right? There's, there's no protocol with Jesus. You don't have to wait like three days to call him or something like that. Like, I won't act too desperate with the Lord. I'm just going to give him a little time. And then, you know, I'll, I'll talk to him about Wednesday, you know. Like, like that's a good first date. That, that's, that's the kind of date that's going to lead to a marriage. Right? That you're like, hey, what are you doing for dinner? That's the way Matthew was. He said, Jesus, what are you doing for dinner? You know, I want to do this again. You know, you know. fun fact for you. Since the day I started uh, dating my wife, we've not spent one single day apart. Since, the, since our first date, there hasn't been a day. Because I've not wanted there to be one. And if you have, I'm, I'm, not, I'm judging you, but it's all in my head. <laughs> I'm kidding. I know circumstances I'm not I'm not saying I'm better than you I'm just saying for me and my wife I just said I don't want to ever be a day apart you know I said why would I wait to see you again and that's the way it is if we want to have a relationship with the Lord if we want to be married to the Lord like it says in Ephesians 5 if we're going to be the bride of Christ it's going to take more than a first date it's going to take a second date it's going to take a third date you're going to have to move in together you're going to you're going to have to never leave each other so once you encounter him, you've got to hurry back. Hurry back. Hurry back. Get back into his presence again. Don't wait. Get back into it again. Make a plan. When, when are we doing this again, Lord? Before you leave here today, say, Lord, this has been great. When are we doing this again? You got plans? You got plans tonight, Lord? You got plans in the morning? I want to I do this again. I want to wait a week. I don't want to wait two. You know, I need to be with you, God. That's that, that 10%. You know, it's um, the writer of Hebrews he writes in Hebrews 10, I think it's verse 24, he says, uh, don't forsake the assembling together of the body, right? He said, don't, don't, don't forsake what's happening when we get together for church. I think that's interesting that 2,000 years ago, they had to tell the church that. Like 2,000 years ago, he had to write, don't forsake the assembling together of the body. Like, don't forget about it. And you think, well, why, why did he have to tell them that? Because our flesh has this one and done philosophy, 
like, oh, check it off the list. But the thing about it is, it's, it's not just with the Lord that, that that philosophy doesn't work. That doesn't work anywhere. Like, one and done doesn't work anywhere. I'm like, you can't, like, go to class one time and get a master's degree. Like, it doesn't work that way, right? But we think somehow, if I could just go on Easter Sunday, then I could be, you know, full of the Holy Spirit. I could just read one verse of Scripture once a year, and I'll be good. But that, that, that's, that's opposite to everything in the world. You can't go to the gym one time and have a perfect body. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great just walk in one time? It's like, hey, what, what is this? Do you just lift it or something? It's like, oh, man, that was great. See you guys later. Walk out all big and skinny and cut and everything. Like, wouldn't that be awesome? But that's not how it works. It's, well, how does it happen? That you go, and then you come back. And then you come back. And then you come back. Morgan knows what I'm talking about. And then you come back. And then you come back. And then eventually, as you keep coming back, as you keep coming back, then you're being changed, right? You're being changed from glory to glory. That's the way the Lord changes us, from glory to glory, to glory to glory. But we have to keep coming back. We have to keep drinking. We have to keep returning, right? Or, or, or he'll never be able to do to his body what he wants to if we only let him touch us once a year. You know, we have to keep coming back, keep letting him forge us. And um, I love how Paul writes, and he writes this in Acts. I think it's pretty neat how he writes, he writes this in Acts, and he writes this in 2 Timothy. But in, in, in Acts, he says, my goal in life, he says, everything means nothing to me. It's all useless to me. It's my translation. I think it says it's all like trash, which I like. He says, everything to me is like trash, except for that I finish the race that I'm in, that I, that I, that I finish it. That this thing that I'm in with Jesus, that I finish it. That's the only thing that matters to me. And then I love it because in 2 Timothy, which we know was Paul's last writing, and it was at the end of his life, maybe even, could have even been as much as a few minutes before his death, we don't really know. I love it because he writes in 2 Timothy, he says, I have finished the race. And now I press on to, to the prize that's awaiting me. Right? Because he said, I've done it. A lot of people started it, but I finished it. Right? That's rare to find. A lot of people start things. This is the season of starting things, right? We're all about to start something, right? At the beginning of this year. But Paul says, in the midst of everyone who started it, I finished it. I kept coming back to him. He was never enough for me. I, I had to, always had to have more of him, more of him, more of him. And as this time of the year is so conducive to everyone wanting to start some, something, I, I say don't just start a relationship with Christ this year. We talk so much about starting one, starting one, starting one, but today I just want to say finish it. Finish it. Keep coming back over and over again. Keep letting Him heal you. Keep letting Him teach you, correct you, repair you, hold you, love you, and lead you deeper into His rest, His grace, His power where He wants you. So you have to make that choice today. Are you going to wait... Are you going to walk away sorrowfully, like about half the people do? Are you going to skip away cheerfully? Are you going to let your blessings in your life end up becoming your burdens? Right? Are you going to just skip away cheerfully? Are you going to return again immediately? Don't just come running to Him and bow at His feet. Offer your possessions also. Don't, don't forget Him when He blesses you. Come back and thank Him. Finish it. Finish the race. Finish it. Keep coming back. Be the rare one person 
maybe the rare three person in a room like this that says, I have to go back and meet with him again. I have to come back. We, we used to have, I used to have a joke at this church, and it's a joke that I don't want to tell anymore. But we used to, I used to have a joke in this church that I could preach the same sermon every week. Because and nobody would ever hear it twice. <laughs> because we was like we had this door where everybody only came once a month. And if everybody all got together, we'd have 200 people. But we only had 30 every week because everybody came once a month. Church, can I say, can I speak over us as we go into 2019? I don't want that church anymore. Yeah. Yes. Can this be a group of people who says once a month is not enough for me? I'll, not only will I be back next week, I'll be back Wednesday. And that doesn't even include the time I have with the Lord Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Can this be the church this next year where we just start getting together spontaneously because we need it to pray over people, to worship? Can we be a church that gathers? Yeah. Can we finish it? I don't want to be a church that starts it. I want to be a church that finishes it. 